You may be seated. And uh, if you got your Bible here, you are welcome to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And uh, before I kind of get into that, I thought it was fitting just really quickly to say a quick thank you to the Bridge Church here on Taunton. Uh, we're really, really thankful that they would serve us. Uh, they allowed us to use this facility without charge, and uh, we're really just grateful that they would be willing to do that, and we're thankful. I think some of them are here with us, so can we just maybe give them a, a thank you for that? They were really... Yeah. It really is a blessing to be able to do this. We, we exist, for those of you who don't know, in a portable church setup. And that has been a, a blessing in many ways, but it has not allowed us to, to do some of these kind of things from time to time. And uh, we're really thankful for any opportunity we have to do something that I think most Christians, and maybe even if you're not a Christian, this is something that maybe is familiar to you. Maybe it's a part of your family tradition to come to a Christmas Eve service. And, um, and I think there's something that we all really enjoy about Christmas traditions, isn't there? There's just things that we're used to, things that we do as families and as friends, and things that just remind us of the season, things that have been important to us and our families as we celebrate Christmas together. I think, though, many of us love Christmas Eve services not simply because of the tradition and that aspect and the nostalgia that maybe is common to many of us, but because Christmas Eve really functions in a way to help refocus our hearts on what's most important at Christmas. I know that many of you are at church on Sunday, maybe you attended our church or another church, but there's something really unique about pausing on Christmas Eve to reflect upon what actually happened 2,000 years ago when God showed up and he spoke in powerful ways to people and told them of a, a miracle that was taking place in Bethlehem that God was becoming flesh. He was entering into space and time in a really unique way and he was doing so for a very unique purpose. In the Bible, the first Christmas Eve was a night that was filled with majesty. It was a night that was filled with revelation from God himself. It was filled with wonder and awe. It was filled with worship and singing. And it's fitting that our evening um, is filled with the same thing. It's very intentional that we kind of model our Christmas Eve service after, in many ways, a lot of the elements that took place on the very first Christmas Eve, if we can call it a service, that first Christmas Eve night. I want to simply go back this evening to the Christmas story. Nothing fancy, nothing new, the same old truths, but the truths that are simply astonishing when we pause and consider them. I want us to go back to the first Christmas Eve evening, and I want to have our hearts refreshed with the truths that are likely very familiar, but hopefully profoundly wonderful to you. And Luke chapter 2 captures this in a really profound and succinct way. And I want to focus in many ways less on the actual birth story of Jesus and more to the story of the shepherds that God showed up to that first Christmas evening, and he told them this great news. In verse 8, we see the shepherds are being, in one sense, confronted by the reality of what was taking place. In verse 8, it says this, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. 
As we look at this passage, and we're going to go further in this, I, I simply want to draw out three things for us. You see, this passage calls us to do three very specific things, I believe. The first one is this. It calls us to recognize our great problem. And in this first confrontation with the shepherds and the angels that takes place, really what's being exposed is the great problem of all of humanity. You see, the story begins to move quickly, and in the previous verses, we read of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph. And now the story shifts over to the shepherds. They were, in one sense, the first to hear of this good news that God was born in a stable in Bethlehem. The shepherds on that wintry night were naturally huddled probably close to a fire. The darkness was thick all around them. The night sky was sprinkled with dazzling stars. Suddenly, in that very moment, as if a star had exploded around them, the light of the glory of God overpowered the darkness. An angel steps forth, and the shepherds notice this. They actually recoil in fear. Maybe that's not quite what you would expect to be taking place if an angel from God shows up. You expect maybe some excitement, some joy. This is an astounding reality that's taking place, but it's fascinating, isn't it, that the natural reaction to an angel that shows up and to the glory of God that shines around them is an instantaneous fear. It Really, it's an uncontrollable kind of fear. This, by the way, is the typical reaction that human beings have to angels all throughout the scriptures when an angel shows up. And this kind of fear that takes place, this isn't surprise kind of fear, this isn't scary kind of fear, this is sinner kind of fear. You see, the glory of God is the revelation of the nature of God himself. It is a divine expression of who God is. His holiness, his majesty, his transcendence. It's so brilliant in this moment that the sinner instantly feels a discrepancy and disparity between the God that's being revealed and themselves. Have you ever stood beside someone who is recognized, maybe by the culture or the world around us, as somebody who's truly great? You ever kind of met somebody like that who's accomplished some great things in this life and has been recognized. Maybe they're a famous person. I've, I've stood beside famous athletes. I've had the opportunity to meet famous athletes and, you know, some Hollywood movie stars. I lived in L.A. for a little bit. You'd see them from time to time, and people just got googly-eyed when they see a Hollywood movie star around them. People, when they stand next to people like that, and maybe it's somebody else, somebody who's just famous for doing something significant in this life, you stand beside them, and there's a sense in there of wonder and awe and appreciation, but in the same sense, if you're really self-conscious, like most of us are, um, what happens is you begin to kind of consider who you are in light of who they are, don't you? You're like, oh man, I, I, haven't con- I haven't done anything like this guy. Like, I'm nothing compared to this person. In a very small way, that's kind of, kind of what it's like to stand beside the glory of God. You see, the glory of God reminds us instantly of our great problem. It shows us who we truly are. It reveals things about us maybe that we've never even seen or realized. You see, the world says that your greatest problem is self-esteem. All you need to do is 
you got to get more self-esteem in this life, and that's going to push you further in this life. And if you just get more self-esteem, you know, every, every kid gets an appreciation medal for simply participating in something, right? I'm teaching them to rely on what others think of them for the rest of their lives. That's great, isn't it? Or, or the world says that you need to, or sorry, excuse me, your greatest problem is your social status, it's your position in life, and, and if you really want to be happy, and if you really want to have an enjoyable life, you simply got to move yourself up the, the social ladder. you got to become more respectable in the eyes of the world and those around you. Or the world tells us that our greatest problem is personal satisfaction. You just simply need to be happy. It's all about your happiness. It's all about your satisfaction. Do what makes you happy, and everything will be fine. That's what the world says. But the Bible comes alongside us, and in the grace of God, it tells us what our real problem is. It tells us what our greatest problem problem is, and it tells us that that great problem is sin. And you see, the Word of God tells us that our sin has actually separated us from God. It's created this division, this chasm between us and God. It's made us actually worthy of His righteous judgment, the Bible teaches us. When we are standing next to him in his glory, our great problem is so obvious. That's why the shepherds react the way they do. Instantly, there's fear in their hearts because they know they do not measure up to the holiness and the majesty and the beauty and the perfection of the God that created them. There's something that prevents them from drawing near. And what's interesting here is that that message first came to a group of shepherds. Isn't that, isn't that interesting that God would come first to shepherds? You say, why is that so fascinating or significant? Well, you see, shepherds in the ancient world were not very high on the social ladder, so to speak. They weren't high and mighty. They weren't esteemed by the world around them. And this reminds us that God comes to those who are needy. He comes to those who are lowly, not simply because of your social status. It goes more towards the heart of this because of who you recognize yourself to be in light of who he is. You see, God comes to the poor in spirit. Shepherds were actually despised in the ancient world. They were despised by the, the, the quote-unquote good and respectable people of the day. In fact, according to ancient Jewish texts, shepherds were actually under a ban. They were regarded as thieves. The only people lower than shepherds at this particular time in Jewish history were lepers. This is who God chose to tell first about the good news? Yes. Because by coming first to shepherds, one thing is certain. God is making it clear that he has come for those who have a great problem. He comes only to those who sense their need. He does not come to the self-sufficient. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for those who recognize and see their great problem who see their great need. The second thing this text calls us to is to embrace our great provider. Yes, all of us have this great need. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God is a good and gracious God. He actually provides for the need that every single one of us has, and that's what the angels go on to say. In verse 9, helpfully, the angels Tell them, excuse me, verse 10, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherd's great fear would be overcome by great joy, and that joy was intended by God to extend to all the peoples. Nobody was to be excluded from this joy. God, with open arms, welcomes all those who see their great problem to come to him for his great provision. The problem of sin is not relegated to certain sins or to certain people. It's a problem that every one of us has. It's a global problem. It's a universal problem. The Bible actually says that it's a cosmic problem. The entire universe has been infected by sin. It's not the way it's supposed to be, and God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is actually going to make all things new. He's going to reorder the entire universe, but he begins with individual lives. He reaches into the lives of human beings first and foremost out of great love for them. It's a global problem, a universal problem. But God has this day in history, 2,000 years ago, provided the solution for all mankind, the solution that was looked to throughout all of the Old Testament scriptures, the solution that was promised. And here it tells us it's good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. It's good news for all the people. Today in the town of David, here's why it's good news, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Scholars speculate that the only reason, by the way, that the shepherds and their flocks were so close was because these men were keeping the sacrificial animals for the temple. Normally, they wouldn't even be allowed this close to the city. It's interesting because first century Bethlehem was the location where lambs were born and reared for temple sacrifices. And it's fitting that the Lamb of God was born there to end all sacrifices and provide atonement for his people's sins once and for all. It was because of Christ's incarnation that God would become flesh and his identification with humanity, his taking on our nature, though without sin, that he and he alone could save us. He would become the sacrifice, the perfect, pure, spotless lamb of God that would be offered up. The scriptures say that he would become sin for us. He would be a surrogate for us. All our sin poured upon him that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Whatever your situation is today, wherever you find yourself in life, the point of this passage and the point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he can deliver you. And he wants to deliver you. He can help you. He can actually save you. Not just from your physical problems and your physical struggles and your physical circumstances, but from what's most important, your spiritual ones. He wants to take you from a place of being alienated from him into a relationship with him that you were created to know and experience. The key, though, is what you do with the message of Jesus. What you do with the reality of Christmas. Here it says that a sign would be given to them. Do you notice that in verse 12? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Angels show up 
in the sky and begin to sing, but this angel first gives them a sign. In other words, there's something they must do. There's something they must do in response to the news that they've heard. They must follow the sign because it leads to an end destination like all signs are intended to do. So while the angels respond in singing this magnificent song of praise and glory to God, notice the content of the song, that there can be peace between man and God with those with whom he is well pleased. Now I wonder if in this moment the shepherds began to consider, well, how do I become one of those with whom God is pleased? How do I make sure as I look at my life that God is, is pleased with me? In other words, what he's, what, what, what's being communicated here is how can you be accepted by God? That's the million dollar question for every one of us. You see, this is really important for you to understand. If you're here today, maybe you don't go to church. Maybe you kind of attend church just for Christmas and Easter. It's not enough simply to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to peek in the manger once a year and say, oh, that's, that's really nice. What a, what a really beautiful and lovely scene that is. Oh, this just gives me such good feelings. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but he was not born within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who is born into the world must be born in your hearts. That's what the scripture says. One of the songs we sing at Christmas has this line, born that man no more may die, born to give them second birth. You see, religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ in your life and in your heart is a yellow brick road to darkness. The natural question that springs from this is this, well, what must I do to be saved? How can I have this great provision that God has given in Christ Jesus? And the answer is very simple, though it can be very hard. We're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in our hearts, to confess him with our mouths that he is Lord and we might be saved, to give our lives to him, to recognize that he is the Lord of all, to recognize he is the God of this universe to repent of our sins and to submit our lives to him completely and say, you are God alone and I will follow you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. You see, that's what pleases God. It's not your effort. It's not your merit. It's not your money. It's not your attendance. It's your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We embrace our great provider by faith. You say, well, when should I do this? Well, I think if we can use this as a bit of an analogy, the shepherds give us really, really an important statement on this. You see verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And notice these words, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You see, the simple answer is this, don't wait, don't delay. I mean, make haste and run directly to Jesus. I mean, there is, there is certainly here a sense of, of excitement. They have found out that God has invaded the world with the sole purpose of saving their souls. And what do they do? They don't saunter over to Bethlehem. They don't take their time. They don't skip and hop. Uh, they make haste. They go with effort and intentionality straight to Jesus. 
How could they not with the reality of what they just heard? And when they got there, they found out that everything God had said was true. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it, notice this, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. There is an urgent need for you to run to Jesus today. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, there's an urgent need for you especially to run to Jesus. But listen, for those of us who know and love Jesus, there is an urgent need in our lives every day to run to Jesus. Because when we run to Jesus, we find all the provision we need. Amen? This is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just an initial saving need that we have. It's a daily need of God's grace that is given to us in Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus and find forgiveness and grace. Run to him and find hope and joy and peace. What God has revealed is true. The word of God is true. And it is for you and it is for me. When we've embraced our great provider, listen, it, not, it naturally, it logically leads us to this final response. It calls us, lastly here, to give our great praise. I love this. I love how they respond. It says, And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, at what the shepherds told them. And notice this in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I mean, the natural response of every single person in this story who hears this amazing news is wonder and awe and praise and adoration. This is what the gospel was intended to do for every one of us. The greatest gift that humanity could possibly know has been given to you. This isn't like opening one of the things that you've wished for on your Christmas list tomorrow morning. This is so much greater than that. And they cannot but help speak of what they have seen The long-awaited Messiah was finally here. That God had made it known to them in such a profound way. Even Mary was astounded. She still didn't have the whole picture. She was still processing this. It was still so amazing to her that she had given birth to the Savior of the world. What a staggering, what a breathtaking reality. And the shepherds did the only thing that you can do when your heart is overwhelmed with wonder. They praise and glorify God. They praise and glorify God. And they no doubt in this moment joined the choirs of angels, the multitudes upon multitudes in heaven that were already praising God for the mystery and the miracle that had just taken place. There's no doubt that they must have echoed the chorus of the angels in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, Christmas calls us back time and time again to these very simple practices, and I trust that maybe God is stirring your heart even now, listen, to do this, to marvel at his great plan. This is marvelous. This is staggering. It calls us back to this simple practice as well, to ponder his great provision that you and I have a deep need. We do, every one of us, our sin, and we need to be restored back to God and to consider just for a moment if you're saved, what God has done for you at this season, how precious it is that your God would come for you out of love, that he would seek and save you. 
What a sweet gift we've been given in Jesus Christ. And lastly, it moves our heart to this place. I trust your heart is here even this evening. It moves our heart to praise our great God for his great provision and his great love for us. Amen? So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to stand. This is not a sober night. This is a joyful night. Let's stand and let us praise our great God together.